0: Hey, gorgeous. This is episode number 270 with the wonderful Peter Sandin.
1: Hi, this is Peter Sandin. You're listening to Heart Cells Podcast with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy.
0: I'm so super pumped to have Peter Sandin on the show for you today. He is called often the marketer's marketer. And you might be wondering, well, why is that? And it's pretty simple. Over half of his clients are other marketing experts who want to see their own blind spots and to make sure they're focused on what matters most. And that is where Peter comes in. He is best known for creating marketing messages that make people immediately feel that's perfect for me. And in today's episode, you find out more about understanding the decision-making process so you can create better messages for your marketing. And in today's episode, you will learn more about understanding the decision-making process and all that Peter has learned in his career to support all these amazing marketing rock stars with their messages. Well, I am so excited to have you here today, Peter. Welcome. Thank you. It was just a pleasure to have you at the Sales Mentality Makeover Masterclass, and you shared amazing, amazing values. So I could not wait to get you on Heart Sales Podcast to share you with even more listeners from all around the globe who might not have had the opportunity to see the masterclass. And I just I just love what you do because you're so creative and you're so great in playing with words and messages. So was this like a path you always knew you wanted to be on?
1: No, absolutely not. Marketing was pretty much the one thing that my parents told me is evil and like no good person would ever go into marketing. Um, So no, it was definitely not in the stars for me. It was, I, I ended up Getting a couple of different degrees and, and starting a business in both and then getting bored with the business pretty much as soon as I started. And then my wife or then still girlfriend pointing out that like, you just talk about marketing, how how to market these businesses and you get bored as soon as you figure it out. So what if you would do marketing and yeah, yeah. I've been on that road since then.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So funny. It, it, basically the same thing happened for me. Like, you know, I had so many other plans to serve clients and now one person was like, you always teach sales. Do you really want to throw away over a decade of that experience? I was like, uh, let me think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then it really clicked. And ever since I'm so grateful that she shared with me because otherwise I don't know where, where I would have started to, which path I would have started to go down. So very exciting. So do you remember like when you, because you, you've, I think you are pretty entrepreneurial or maybe you started out already pretty entrepreneurial. Do you, do you remember the very first thing you ever sold?
1: The first thing, probably um, this, I don't know, what is it called in English? This sort of a job training thing that you go to on the ninth grade here in Finland. And I got to go into a music electronics store or like music technology store and like, what I, I think, I don't remember exactly what it was that I sold, but I ended up helping someone when the actual salespeople were busy and, and the customer came in and asked about some piece of technology, like how does this work or something. And, and I ended up helping them. But yeah, I don't remember what it was, but I remember just thinking <clears throat> that selling is super easy. But this is before I understood what selling actually means. I, I, I thought of as like, well, it's customer service. I'm helping them find the right option for them, yeah. the one that is truly the best for them. It's not necessarily the expensive one. It's just the one that really fits them. And that's sort of how I've ever since then thought of selling, that that's, that's what I think selling is, helping people find what is actually the best option for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I was very confused. Why is it that salespeople do anything else? I, I understood later on, but like... In in those first days, at least, I was I was very baffled by the idea that it would be anything more than just you know they come in with a need and you just get, tell them what they need and like that's it.
0: Yeah, that's simple, right? And and you love music, you're you're really um, into sound quality in music, as you shared. So yeah. I I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, and because it it kind of shows that the creativity and also taking that space, you know, giving yourself the time to listen, right? I just feel in our days, we're so busy with everything. Like I can't even remember when I listened to music the last time because somehow the day just runs through my fingers. And, you know, when I'm on a walk in nature, obviously there are some birds and they sing, but it's not, it's not really music. I haven't listened to music for a long time. So that was a good reminder, having a look into your bio and into your fun facts. It's like, oh, quality of music. Yeah, I really need to go back and enjoy a little bit more. So yeah,
1: the first degree I got was actually mixing engineering. So
0: oh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I have such a great person for the podcast. Then, <laughs> so uh, when you when you then understood what sales is, when you saw that difference from just being super excited, supporting someone and making the right choice um, of a need that was already there, what what changed for you?
1: Nothing. I, I still think that that is what sales should be. In, in like, I'm not saying it's somehow wrong if sales is something more, but rather that's what I always aim for. And I see marketing as a way to get people to the point where they actually want to hear what it is that they need next. So <clears throat> I know a lot of people think of marketing as, well, you just generate a lead for salespeople to then start calling. And they call until they buy uh, just out of frustration of being called so many times. <laughs> I, I rather think of it as like marketing gets people to the point where they actually ask for, like, can can we talk about this? Whether it is one-on-one or in some other way, like they go to a sales page thinking that, oh, this actually look, sounds really cool. I want to know more and so on. Uh, so it hasn't actually changed. I've just learned to see that, people have different ideas of what it means but what i always aim for is is still actually the same thing obviously i understand better like how many things you should recommend or like sh- should you give them seven different options with nuance like tiny nuance differences or should you maybe simplify things a little more for them but like the, the basic idea it's still the same for me
0: yeah and and i love that and i think that's why you know You're also such a perfect guest for the podcast because you do sell from your heart and you really want to support people making the right choice for them so they can get the biggest benefits. And then, you know, sales is a win-win for everybody. It feels good. It feels aligned and everybody's happy. So at the end of the day, it just creates positive emotions. And I, I think that's so important. And I do believe that we all can create these situations. There's no need to be the slimy, sleazy salesperson running with some money, right, giving the tense bonus and doing like a ton of scarcity um, and kind of trick people in, which obviously works. That's why people use it. That's how the brain is wired. But that positive feeling really comes when you feel like you, as a person who buys, has made the decision.
1: Yeah. And like, I, I usually think that if there is a technique that many people use, like the false scarcity, there's something, that, there is a way to do it in a way that makes sense or isn't false. It is yeah. isn't misleading, but rather genuine. And if there isn't, then maybe don't do it. At least I rather don't. Uh, if, if I can't create genuine scarcity, then, then I don't put some random scarcity thing there. But like most businesses can create very realistic, like genuine scarcity. So it, it's it's not necessary. And the same goes with almost all the sales techniques that people hate and like feel really bad about when they experience them. You can usually come up with ways to do the same, like get the same effect. It might be harder and it might take a lot of time. Like I've spent, I don't know how many hours now thinking through those things because I've made a new webinar and I don't want it to feel like I'm there to trick people into buying But there are things that really help people see the value of something. And there are ways to do that in a way that isn't really manipulative, but rather truly helps them see if this is right for them or not. Because that's what a lot of those things are trying to get people to do. Like scarcity, it's trying to force people into making a decision, yes or no, rather than just defaulting into, I won't think about it. Because that can also mean that they should have bought it. It would have been good for them. They just never paid attention enough to actually decide. So then they just didn't. And it's fine to decide no, but I, I'd rather try to help people make a decision, yes or no, instead of just indecision, because that's almost never the best choice.
0: Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And that, that's something where, what I discovered in my sales career, like having those maybes, they just take your time, they take your energy, and at the end of the day, it is a no. So why not get it right then and there and kind of release both parties from yep. that conversation? And it, it feels much better. Yeah. So what 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 could you recommend for people? Like what is a good way to use like a natural scarcity or urgency?
1: Um, well, usually I try to bake it into the offer in some way. So for example, I'm, I'm going to uh, promote a new program and I'm including coaching into it in the first for a while. So I get feedback and it's, there's very realistic limit to how many people I can help like that. I'm, I'm not charging anywhere near what I would charge normally for that sort of coaching. Um, or even what I might charge if I sell it later on with the same type of coaching included it's still going to be many many times more so that's a very real form of scarcity there is I'm taking a few people in so I can help them really one-on-one and get the feedback and then it's not available anymore Um, but if there isn't any actual scarcity like that like not true scarcity uh, then one thing that I try to do is is get the same effect with something else and what scarcity sort of relates to is the fear of missing out on on something which relates to just forcing or not forcing but helping people decide yes or no so then rather it becomes about helping them see what is the cost of not taking action now and like how much are you losing if you don't or these are the things you can think of and if they're bad for you then okay you should make a decision now because they will keep going continuing on the other hand if they're not big issues then okay this isn't for you so there are many ways to sort of get the same effect without starting to mislead people or or add some random scarcity, like, well, there's only 17 copies of this PDF. So once those are gone, then or like clearly my costs will increase sevenfold at the end of the day. Like
0: Yeah, yeah it, I totally see. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like typically the things that I've sold are coaching. So there's been a very easy way for me personally to create those actual like realistic scarcity because it truly is my calendar will fill up. But that's what I always aim for with clients as well. Come up with ideally something that is part of the offer. And if not, then then think of what, what creates the urgency to it, if not the fear of missing out on, on the offer. What else is there that that creates the same feeling for people?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I personally love to work with people who can make fast decision. Yeah. Because that shows me they are action takers and they are not there to like dingle around a little bit and, you know, not moving forward. Like all my clients are really great action takers. And I think it is important to guide people to make a decision. And, you know, you want to be committed to the goal that is to support that person if it's the right fit. But, you know, you don't want to be committed to the outcome, which means are they saying yes or no? And then if they say no, you totally are frustrated and uh, sad and I don't know what else. Like, don't let that get to you, but hold that space that in that space, the person can make the best decision for them.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people when they see a webinar or something where at the end the presenter says like for the first 10 people or for just the next 15 minutes, you can get the special bonus because I like action takers. Like it can sound like complete lies, but it's usually not. It, there is truly a, a, a like a usually the people who take action immediately are the most fun to work with. And yeah. it's I guess sort of you shouldn't say that out loud, but like that's everyone in the industry knows that. I've never heard anyone argue against this. It, it just tends to be that way. And it doesn't mean that the people who, who need to think about it would be somehow worse people or not fun to work with. But on average, the most fun clients are the ones who are immediately like, yes, this is what I want. Let me Let me in, like, where can I buy? Like, I just want to get to it. Because that energy also pulls them through at a much higher rate than everyone else.
0: Yeah totally when everything feels aligned like they can't wait to sign up <laughs> like yep. i i i just love that because that tells me like they're so the right client to work with yep. and um yeah it's true like sometimes i feel when i say like i love working with action takers it sounds i don't know so overused <laughs> overrated yep. but at the end of the day it really comes down to these are the people that get best results because they do take action Yep. So how do you deal with um, rejection?
1: I don't usually think of it as rejection at all. I think of it as either uh, it really wasn't right for them, even if I thought that, that it would be, and then it's good that they didn't buy. Or I see it as, well, what could have I done differently so that if it was right for them, they would be more likely to see it, that it is right for them. And I, I don't usually ever think of an individual, even if I do one-on-one sales for like larger projects or something, but rather I think of in general, what can I do to make it easier for people to see the value? What, what would make that difference? Um, so instead of it becoming a rejection, I see it as, well, okay, this didn't work. This was like a a test of one one person or a test of one video or a test of one webinar or something and what can i learn like if the response rate or the, the closing rate or the uh, conversion rate was lower than usual then okay something went wrong what could it be and then start testing and instead of really thinking of well i must get to result x i think of well i want to be on the path towards results x and and as long as i'm on that path as long as I'm not somehow walking backwards, that's that's sort of all, all I can really control.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's so valuable. Thank you for sharing that. Because I, you know, like talking about rejection, I so often hear the frustration in people's voices and that they do take it personally. And then they're so busy with dealing with their own pain <laughs> instead of checking in like what could have been better or how can I tweak? Or pretty simple if you have the opportunity to talk to the person and ask them what prevented them from buying, what prevented them from using the benefits your service or product would give them. So would you also recommend having that conversation with your client when they say no?
1: Well, if you can, it doesn't hurt unless you actually believe them. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) People lie unintentionally. And it, it's okay, it's not lying. People just don't really understand themselves and their own decision-making. And if they do, which again, it's rare, but if they do, then they rarely want to actually tell you the truth about it. Um, because we don't make decisions logically. We, and this is, this is not just marketers. This is neuroscientists saying the same thing. We make decisions with the part of the brain that only deals with emotion. Nothing else. That's what makes decisions. It does consult the other parts of the brain. So if the other parts of the brain are like, hell no, then it might stop. But it, it, even if the other parts of the brain are like, this is the best thing ever, as long as that emotional side isn't agreeing, they don't buy. They just don't. Um, they will find some way to emotionally feel. Or it's not really emotionally. It's more about, it's the it's called reptilian brain. But the point is, it's, about, it's interested in itself. It's only interested in mating and survival and like biological like needs so Most people won't say say anything like that. The example that I often use is when people ask So why did you buy a fancy iPhone? It's like well because it syncs my calendar so easily with my Mac It's like <laughs> yeah, really right. did yeah. I spend like 800 euros on a phone that just because calendar syncing like no but Am I going to tell you actually why? No, I'm not going to tell you actually why I buy it, no matter how you set up the questionnaire. So like, whenever you ask people's opinions, remember that like most likely they cannot give you realistic answers. And even if they could, they most likely won't. So be extremely critical of whatever you find out, whether it's a questionnaire, whether it's a survey or personal conversations, no matter how well-intentioned they are, and no matter how much they would like to, be honest and so on. You cannot expect to truly get the right answers. You can get hints and you can get individual things. So if you're selling something to, let's say, companies and seven out of seven decline and they all say, well, it didn't have this compliance there, so we just had to discard it. Then, yeah, okay, fix the compliance thing. (laughs) But other than that, be very, very careful not to put too much weight on what people say.
0: Mm, Such an important point. Yeah, I I learned... Um, when I when I actually did the high ticket sales, uh, I started out that the first answer is always like the, an excuse and you have to dig deeper. You really have to find a different way to asking so that at some point in the conversation, they might reveal the true reason. And, yeah. and that was so astonishing for me, right? That was the first like, oh, no, we don't have the budget. Okay. And then you t- keep talking and you know, you keep presenting and asking. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's like a totally different reason and you're already another 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes into the conversation and then the real thing comes out. So yeah, it's, it's so fascinating how we think. And then also, yeah, it's difficult to say that they are lying. Because it includes us, right, we also have these excuses, like the first thing yep. that comes to mind. but when you go deeper, you find well, you know i I bought this because I just think it's good for my ego, <laughs> talking about yep. an iPhone, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> which um I don't have one, <laughs> but uh that's it's it's really interesting, and I can see how powerful that is
1: yeah, but like. Even if it is like, it's usually not even if if someone says, well, it's about their ego, that's still very vague.
0: Mm, it can yeah. still
1: be many different things. So as you pointed out, they always find an excuse first. Well, 99% of the time, it's the first answer is an excuse. But even you have to be really good at asking and you have to be really good at understanding what sort of an answer might be true so that if they accidentally blurt it out, you can recognize that, oh, that was the answer I was looking for. But yeah, like even ego which often comes up in these conversations. I think it's still a very vague thing. It could be that well they they think they want like they want to be a certain kind of person and they think that those kinds of people have an iPhone. It could be that they the, the iPhone represents some sort of milestone for them or some sort of success that they want to signify to themselves. That's also about ego, but it's a very different reason for buying. Um, many other reasons as well. So it's it's really like you have to be very good at asking questions to find the answers. That's why people often ask, like, do I do a lot of customer surveys and such when creating marketing messages? And usually no, because it's very hard to get to the real answers by asking questions. There's, I think, easier ways just to do it.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So what what could a person do when they are in a sales conversation?
1: Well, during a sales conversation, um, I think the more personal you can make the conversation, the better, because the more comfortable you can make them, the more honest they might get, not necessarily, but odds of them actually being honest with you go go higher. Um, And then letting them ask the questions, letting them, well, not really ask the questions, but letting them just tell you. So that means asking open-ended questions. And as much as you can, and this is the part that at least I find very difficult, um, is getting to the emotional parts. So a typical question would be, well, what sort of goals do you have? Then they say some goals. If you're good at it, then you can start digging into, well, why do you actually care about those goals? And if they said something like, well, make more money, then a lot of people, if you just ask, well, why do you care? They're like, well... Who doesn't care? Obviously, I want more money. Like You have to be much better at wording the questions in a way that really makes them understand what sort of answers you're looking for and makes them feel comfortable with answering. I think sharing your own experience in some form might help. So you can tell that, well, for me, it used to be about making more money because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, do you mind sharing Like, what are your these reasons? Um, so during a sales call, like that's the sort of thing that I would go for.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I love how you made that invitation just, you know, by sharing your own story. And it's also a beautiful way to connect with the person and not um, appearing just to ask. So you ask, right. (laughs) But really creating that meaningful deeper relationship.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's rare that someone feels comfortable sharing as the first person to share because they already feel like you're interrogating them to some degree. (laughs) Like, I'm exaggerating a little. Obviously, you can make it not feel like an interrogation, but like they are still the one to all the time ans- answer your questions up until that point, at least. If you're doing sales well, then most of the time, at least, it means that they're asked, they're answering all your questions. So, if you don't share anything of yourself, then it starts to feel like just sharing all your all their personal info, which most people are not very comfortable with. So, sharing something equally uh, personal, I think, is the only even semi-consistent way to get there. I've heard of people who can do it consistently. Otherwise, I just don't know how. Mm.
0: Well, that would be a great topic for the next conversation. I'm so happy that we do have another interview set up. But I do want to give people your amazing gift that you're bringing. And it's a test for your marketing message, which is obviously kind of the gateway to lead to a conversation. (laughs) Because if nobody knows your marketing message, well, probably nobody's gonna sign up for a call. Tell us a little bit about what people get when they um, sign up for your marketing message.
1: So I think of a marketing message as what is it that you need to say so people understand what they need to understand about your, your product or service, so they want to buy it. So the test is about just checking how, like, how likely are the things you're now saying to actually create that feeling that, that they really are the things that people need to understand for them to want to buy. Uh, it's a very short one, just a couple pages that just go through the process of like, well, here's. it's a very harsh test. A lot of people, even marketing experts or people who have been in, in business for decades have told that like they, they never actually looked at their own stuff this critically. So it's it's not necessarily very fun, but it can be very revealing.
0: Yes, and usually pretty rewarding because then you can tweak, right? It's like coming to the real reason. (laughs) So that's your opportunity. And I just want to invite everybody to check that out. Um, The link is going to be in the show notes, but if you can't wait, it's petersandine.com forward slash value. And um, all your links, um, everything um, is in the show notes so people can connect with you and your amazing work. And I just want to invite everybody to do that because you will be blown away. Thank you so, so much for your time today. And I'm looking forward to our next interview. Thank you. Well, I took quite a few notes and I hope you are inspired as well. And you are going away with some really great ideas to implement into your business. I just love how Peter was able to guide us through the process, to guide us through his own personal journey. So again, you can understand that most people are not a natural born salesperson. Most people kind of discover their passion and what they want to bring to the world, and then they figure out the sales game. And that might be you. So hop on over to Schlansky.com, Check out Peter's episode. All the links to Peter are right there, as well as in the resource section, his amazing gift. And I'm also going to give you the link to a video he did. Did, where he will explain more of how to get more leads and sales with no more traffic. And this without fancy tools or tech. And remember, Peter combines m- more or less 10 years of website work. And he really knows the things that most consistently generate positive results. And that's what we are all here for. We want to have this positive impact. So hop on over to Christine Schlonsky.com forward slash podcast check in on episode number 270 and into the resource section, and it's just one click away and you get all this wonderful free material. So thank you so, so much for having been here. If you have not yet subscribed to the Empowerment Notes, I highly recommend you do. You also find that at christineschlonsky.com, and that will put you basically on a list where I will update you on Heart Sales Podcast, on the speakers, their topics and all the amazing good things that are right now in the making in creation and you will be the first one to know. So never miss out on a podcast episode just subscribe and also make sure that you are part of the empowerment notes so that I can give you all the updates right into your inbox and it's Just one click away. Thank you so much for having been here. In the next episode, I'm going to go deeper with Peter on how to create a six-figure website and what that will take. So make sure you check that out as well. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world. And I'm saying bye for now.